Welcome to Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Transformation for Success show. And I hope you're having a fantastic day. Yes, this is Fantastic Tuesday, and I'm here with another guest and show for you today. You know, you always hear about heroes and sheroes, and today I have on the show a very special person who I call a shero because she has a special calling to help needy youth in our communities. So join me today as I welcome my guest, Dr. Deborah Sachs, whom I met while I was getting a pedicure and manicure. I was so intrigued by her transformation journey and what she's currently doing that I invited her to share with you today. So I want to give a shout-out to all of my fans and listeners all over the world, just to name a few, Australia, Austria, Benin, Canada, China, Egypt, Japan, Moscow, Russian Federation, and some of my friends and fans in the United States. I want to thank you for your loyalty and tuning in to the Transformation Show each week. So greetings, Deborah. It's great to have you on the show today, and thank you for taking time from your busy schedule to be with me today. Thank you, Dr. Young. I'm excited to spend some time today and share my little journey. Well, it's not a little journey. It's fantastic, Deborah. I want to tell you that. But, you know, for many years, my passion has been to empower people with simple success principles to transform their lives. And I'm truly, truly blessed to share with you listeners these stories about the true measure of success for many individuals who've gone through trials, discouragements, challenges, and negative friends, and in some cases, horrendous backgrounds. But in spite of all odds against them, in many cases, they were able to align themselves on a journey to success. And it is so empowering to learn from others who have achieved at the level you desire. And you can learn so much from them as well as the strategies they used to transform their lives. So I want you to stay tuned in, or you can download this show for later listening and share with your friends. Have them listen in, as this is going to be a very enlightening and interesting discussion. Deborah's going to share her amazing journey of transformational success. Growing up with three sisters and being raised by a single mother who owned a small business, and what happened to lead her to what she is doing today. Our show today is about a woman on a mission to help youth. But let me share a little bit about Deborah's background. Dr. Sachs has been an educator for well over 35 years, and she looks not a day over 35. (laughs) And she has a passion for improving the lives of at-risk students. She's developed a number of programs and services for this group of students, and she's in demand as a speaker for disengaged and foster youth as well as teacher educators. As you know today, many of our young people are in difficulty and they need so much help. So it is truly a blessing to have individuals like Deborah Sachs who have a heart for these students who are at risk. Now, Dr. Sachs has been a teacher, a school principal, and administrator for the County Office of Education in California. She has worked with a nationally recognized program called CBK, which means Comeback Kids, and she's going to talk a little bit about that later on in the show. A drop, and Comeback Kids is really a dropout recovery program, and as well as she's developed a college connection mentoring program for young people. She's been featured for her work on numerous radio shows, and she's currently providing coaching and consulting to five school districts on positive behavior intervention. She is a busy lady, and I know she water skis, she enjoys her life, and she believes people of all ages need to move to stay healthy and ready for life's adventures. So I think what we're going to hear today from my guest, out of all of her pursuits and accomplishments, the question is, how did she get there? I welcome you to call in live or Skype your comments or questions to me during the show at info at transformationforsuccess.com. The number to call in, if you'd like to call in and ask Deborah or me some questions, is 1-888-346-9141, and we'd love to have your feedback. You can also access me on my channel pages, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Now to my guest, Dr. Deborah Sachs. Hello again, Deborah. Hello, Dr. Young. Look, I want you to share with the audience a little bit about your background because I know that you grew up with a single mom who had a business and there were, what, three girls or four girls, four of you? 
girls? Actually, actually two sisters and a niece. So kind of like three sisters. <laughs> well, oh, my. That should have been fun. One bathroom in the house, that should have been fun. <laughs> That's right. Two, two bedrooms, one bathroom. <laughs> well, you learn how to negotiate real early, don't you? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about, uh, a little bit more about your background and just who is Deborah Sachs? Oh, thank you. Um, Deborah Sachs is kind of known as an educator with zest. Um, I'm a resilient worker. I am motivated. People know that I'm open and somebody they can talk to. I've, I've served in a variety of roles as an educator, from a teacher to a principal to a consultant. I've done wow. professional development, and I've done a lot of coaching for young women in the educational setting as well. well um, so who am I? I'm somebody who doesn't give up. Um, I, have a I tell you. <laughs> what happened in your early life that really um, strongly influenced your educational choices? Okay, I think um, just growing up in a small town, in a small mm-hmm. home, with mm-hmm. a mom who opened a small business, and... Um, just her influence about being confident and caring about those who suffer a bit. So mm-hmm. in her small little store, uh, we had customers often who just needed an ear. They didn't really come in to buy anything. And my mom was always that for people, complete strangers, sometimes mm-hmm. children who lived just around the corner and walked up to get a penny candy. But what I saw through my mom's um, passion to help mm-hmm. others and to be a supportive person for people of all ages and all educational backgrounds. Wow. Some people were just on their way to work and they stopped just to get a quick talk with Nellie. And so I think it was just a huge influence on me. And also to see family members, maybe a cousin, as I, grad- as I eventually became a teacher, seeing students suffer mm-hmm. and really just needing more support. And who I am is that person who wants to provide um, settings where everyone, no matter, you know, where they come from, youth in our communities, in our schools, feel like, you know, they can be safe and be engaged and trust some adults who are significant. Well, you know, when you were going through your early life, you know, in your early childhood, did you have... Um, you know, circumstances that happen to you because, you know, one of the things I always feel is that you have such empathy um, and you reach out to these uh, at-risk students. Were there incidents in your childhood that even gave you a glimpse of that this might be something I might be doing one day? (laughs) Yeah, I'll have to say yes to that. I really um, would always just notice. I was kind of a quiet kid, reflected a lot, did a lot Mm -hmm. of personal writing when when some kids were outside and my sisters were out skating, sometimes I would be found writing, and I would write poetry and try to just understand, you know, where different people came from, even at a really right. small, young age. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and just, um, it probably happened a little more as I substitute Todd as a 20-year-old and a 21-year-old, and I just saw a lot of youth who I just felt like needed, needed to connect with more people. I think that's laudable. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, and I know this, Deborah, we all have challenges and things that we have to kind of go through. What were some of your challenges that you had to go through, you know, early on that, that just, you know, really you thought you couldn't make it or, or what happened? Okay, I'll tell you that. Um, so when I was in high school, my mom would say to all three of us girls, so you are going to go to college. I didn't know how to navigate that, and honestly, nobody in my high school really helped me with that. So that was wow. a huge challenge, right? And so mm-hmm. it was some friends and then people I met working at my mom's market who started talking to me and giving me hope and confidence that I could do this. And I just put one foot in front of the other. I, you know, I got a hold of material that would show me the pathway, and I found important people, adults, who could, you know, answer my questions or be a mentor to me. So I kind of stepped out and found people. I think that's how mm-hmm. I overcame some of those challenges about confidence and, and not having the, the, the resources necessarily. But um, 
So, so that was a challenge, just even how do you navigate college, how do you get there, and, and then how do you finish that? Um, so that wow. was a huge challenge. Being a, being a child and kind of being forced into an adult role also was a challenge. Um, a couple of little girls at home, um, we were teenagers by then, but our mom was busy working. She was 9 to 10 at a market, and even though we worked there, you know, there was a lot of time at home, and so we took on adult roles, all three of us. And um, so that was a challenge. You know, I looked at other kids who had two parents, and they, had, they looked like they had a lot more going on. But what I have to say is we had a lot of love and faith, and mm-hmm. um, we collaborated a lot about what to do next. So, you know, it was that, an amazing was unit. So Fine women. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that was so good, you know, that, that you had that family structure and you had a mom that, you know, was sensitive to your girls, too. More specific, did you have any uh, mentors that helped you along the way? Because I'm telling you, it, it, today I'm thinking about youth today who, who try to navigate by themselves. And so did you have any mentors at all in high school or in, in your, your community or, or your church? Absolutely. I've always said that writing has been my go-to, my place to reflect and journal and be creative. And when I was a teenager, I met a, a young woman who worked for a newspaper, and I had, you know, dreams about that, about being a, um, a reporter and a writer. And so she helped mm-hmm. me along the way. When I was a teenager, I was part of a book on historical homes in Lake Elsinore, and I had three stories published. Granted, I was really young and inexperienced, but they mentored me through it. I'm, you know, I sat in living rooms with all these older people, but my mom mm. pushed me, and she dropped me off, and there I was. So I want to attribute some of my uh, success and even decision to, you know, take a certain path to... Um, Bonnie Prey, LaVey Prey. Um, I had a teacher in middle school who followed mm-hmm. a group of us to the high school to be our teacher there, and mm-hmm. his name was Bob Hugh. We called him Scooter. It was a number of coaches, um, a business teacher, Judy, who um, just taught us skills where we could go get jobs, and we gained our confidence, and our self-esteem grew through those experiences. Even, I'm going to say even drill team in high school, even a you know, a coach who mm-hmm. had us marching down boulevards and, and instilling us that we could hold our head high, we could walk away from problems at home and, you know, look beautiful, be proud, and, you know, have a, ha- present ourselves. And that is great. You know, uh, I really admire you and, and the work that you've done. And, you know, knowing that, you know, sometimes trying to navigate college and growing up without a dad in the home must have been, you know, a challenge too. And so I really, really want to give you your kudos, Deborah, for what you're doing today. And really, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to be right back, and I'm going to ask you some more questions because I'm very intrigued about how you began to focus your work on the most needy of youth in communities. So listeners, stay tuned. We're going to be right back with my guest today, Dr. Deborah Sachs. We're on Facebook, along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. If you're in an unhealthy relationship or you want to know what helps you avoid being in an unhealthy relationship, be sure to tune into Tamar's Relationship Transformations. Host, author, and certified relationship coach Tamar Neal uses real scenarios from her experience as a 911 operator and counselor to change the way you see potentially abusive relationships. Tune in every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. How are you doing in your life? Do you control your life or does it control you? In our hectic, overconnected world, do you spend too much time feeling tired and wired? Tune in to Master Your Life with hosts Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin for inspiration, insight, and intelligence on how to gain control of yourself and your life. Along with some inspirational and knowledgeable guests, Leah and Howard will give you the tools needed to help you on your journey. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. 
This is Transformation for Success. To reach Dr. Barbara Young or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to info at transformationforsuccess.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hi there, and welcome back to Transformation for Success with my guest today, Dr. Deborah Sachs, who's been an educator for well over 35 years and has a passion for improving the lives of at-risk students. So, Deborah, we were talking about yourself, really, you being educated and having teachers and mentors and basketball coaches and people who inspired you and helped you to navigate that process. One of the things I think that struck me when we, before we went on break is you talked about writing ability, how you always love to write. And you know, it's really interesting how your, your writing was, do you feel that your writing was a gift, that uh, a God-given gift, because you, you could write and be able to place your thoughts on paper and you actually had something published? I, I, yeah, I completely agree. Um, mm-hmm. I think it is a gift, but I also mm-hmm. think I've produced, you know, a better product over the years through a growth mindset and the ability to just keep persevering and working at it even more. So, yes, I think it's a gift. It's, it's a spark for me. It's something that lights me up. <laughs> it's something that I That's great. love to do. Now, I want to ask you another question because... Um, you know, I was a college professor for many, many years, and one of the things that I know that when you're in college, one of the things that the students that have this ability to write really do well in school, and so because, you know, you have to write a lot. Do you feel as a, as a part of that, well, as a result of the gift, that you did well in college and this happened, maybe propelled you to pursue, you know, the master's and then go a BA, the master's, and then the Ph.D.? Absolutely. I, I feel like, you know, that, that is my, my gift. The thing mm-hmm. that I excel at the most is writing. So I've mm-hmm. told many youth that it's a lot of writing when you go to college. You just got to work at it. And I'll be your editor. I've even offered graduates, high school students, I'll be your editor. Like, let me help you. And I do think and I, that, that it's, it, it helped me get through the different degrees and have mm-hmm. the confidence, and I learned a lot, too, along the way from my professors, those who sat alongside me and worked with me as opposed to just giving an assignment. I, I felt like I really learned from those that were willing to sit next to me as well. But um, when I worked on the dissertation, the biggest research paper of them all, I call it, um, I, yes, I did indeed. have a lot of confidence. <laughs> That's great. And, you know, it's really interesting when you say, Two, that you had professors who sat by you side by side who helped you, not just giving you an assignment. And, you know, um, I've always maintained this, and I will tell people, your gifts lead to your purpose. Your gifts are not your purpose, mm-hmm. but they lead to your purpose. And how this gift of, of what God has given you, that ability to write, how it's led you to even write grants and to be able to uh, support the endeavors that you are doing today. But what was it that really, well, I'm going to ask this, though. I'm going to back up and say this, because I think it's always intriguing to find out. What's the best advice you ever received? (laughs) Oh, the best advice I ever received Hmm. was probably that I, okay, so even when I was nervous to start college, one of my dear Mm -hmm. friends said, Mm -hmm. you can get through college, you can get through college. You can take something over. You can try it again. If you fail, you can just take it over. And, and um, I thought, okay, so I don't have to be a straight-A student going in, and I don't have to have straight-A's while I'm there, but I could actually redo things if I had to. Just knowing that gave me the confidence, well, okay, it's worth a try. So probably That's that was great. decent advice <laughs> for me. And you know what? I want to share with the listeners out there. Sometimes you're feeling like you can't do it, but you can do it. And if you make a mistake, pick yourself up and keep on going because the, the idea is the goal. And many of us have had to realize and have some good advice. So actually, I think, Dr. Sachs, what you just stated is something that I hope the listeners will take to heart because you can do it. And if you have to, if you mess up, because sometimes mm-hmm. we all mess up, just mm-hmm. pick yourself up and keep on going. That's right. <laughs> now, I want to know, what inspired you really to focus your work on needy youth? And the reason why I ask this, Deborah, because in being an educator myself, a former educator, and dealing with a lot of K-12 um, teachers, 
who are students, I should say, in liberal studies who were going into teaching, they really didn't want to work with go to communities where there were at-risk youth or the most needy. I mean, they really wanted to be, you know, because it's it's a stretch. It's a, it's really a stretch. It because you're dealing with diversity, you're dealing with students from all kinds of backgrounds that have all kinds of challenges, and so. Uh, it was not that easy for a lot of the teachers to really want to go and, you know, serve in those communities. So what inspired you that you wanted to work with at-risk students and make a difference in their lives? Yeah. Okay, so besides, I mean, writing I definitely feel is a gift, but beyond that, people and communicating with people and helping people is my greater mm-hmm. gift. That's what I've always wanted to do. And it comes naturally to me. So I'll go back to, I was into teaching. Um, mm-hmm. I worked in one district locally, and then I worked in another district, both high-performing districts. But what I noticed is that there were youth that would come to the adult education center in the evenings and say, I never graduated. And I would look at their transcripts, and I would see the very little bit that, that kept them from walking across the graduation finish line at that high school. So now they're 19, 20, 21. They finally have the confidence to come to the door and say, I want to get my high school diploma, even though it's adult education. But let me mm-hmm. tell you, so they had the desire, but it cost money because they had to have a book deposit. The second part is there was a line out the door. There weren't enough wow. There wasn't enough right. of a program. So right. I really got a little angry, a little irritated, a little uh, passionate about, okay, what do I do next? Because I want to create a place, a system, so that these kids can realize their dream. I went to work for the County Office of Education in Riverside, and um, I was asked to be a principal of one of their centers for uh, at-risk youth. So these were students who were in foster care, expelled, from their district, so they would be in our center for a semester or a year, um, pregnant and parenting team, and then um, eventually high school dropouts who were reengaging. So mm-hmm. it was then that I realized there is such a huge need. At that time, it was 2007. The graduation mm-hmm. rate in Riverside County was around 80%. So what happened oh, wow. to 20% of our youth in the county that I love to live in, that I embrace as my community, what happened? And so Superintendent Ken Young um, asked me to meet with him one day, and he said, let's talk about this. This is going to be one of my greatest initiatives to change this in Riverside County, to change the trajectory of youth in Riverside County. We have right. to build a place. And I said, okay, I'm on board. And he goes, well, how will you do it? How will you find them? And I said, well, just watch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, so, so we started this program really small for anyone who had dropped out of high school in Riverside County. We literally started at a handful of sites, and now we have 20 sites across Riverside County with close to 40 teachers. It costs no Wonderful. money, and it's a place. Um, Wonderful. And, and it all... Is, you know, people say, how did you do it? How did you find them? How did you afford it? Who pays for all this? Yeah, I, so I imagine you know, people will ask those kind of questions. You know, Deborah, I, you know, I have a question, too. How did they respond to you? I mean, here you are, you know, you're petite, you're glamorous, and, you know, you get your nails done. <laughs> no, I'm <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how did these kids respond to you at first? Oh, the kids? Kids yeah. respond to any adult who looks in their eyes, tells them they mm-hmm. care, shares a little bit about themselves, and tells them that I want to help you. Kids respond. When I was a high school teacher, the principal called me in at the end of the school year, one, one year, and said, I just mm-hmm. want to thank you. You did not send one student to the office all year. And my That's response incredible. was, I didn't know I could. <laughs> no, I just figured it out. I talked to students, you know, in the corner of the room when they misbehaved. I found a way to, with respect, intervene and, you know, get them to think about their actions. So, yeah. <laughs> I call myself small but mighty. I just admire you so much because, listen, I, I know how wonderful you are just from meeting you the first time and we engage in conversation. We couldn't stop talking. But the, mm-hmm. the thing that struck me most, too, is your love. And so mm-hmm. when people sense that caring, that, mm-hmm. 
you know, and, and they're drawn to it. And so that's what our, our young people need today, not casting them off to the office or having them, you know, expelled from school, but it's that love that draws them. Mm-hmm. I Really, it undergirds everything that you care. And not that you're just loving them and letting them, you know, do anything they want to do, but then you have certain expectations, high expectations. How do they uh, react in terms of the program you started? Is that the Comeback Kids Dropout Recovery Program? Yes. Or, yes, we, yes, that's the program. It's called Comeback Kids Dropout Recovery. So it was mm-hmm. established in 2008. Our first graduating class was 2009. We had 25 students. And over the last several years, we have close to 300 a year. Oh, so that is really wonderful. Grown. Now, is this, pro- is this program across districts? Is it in other districts? Yeah, so it's in Riverside County. So we... Um, actually set up a classroom, so we want to make it convenient, because we're talking about young people, 16 to 24, who have not graduated, do not have a GED, um, don't generally have a job even, and so they don't have gas or cars sometimes to drive a long distance to get to a school setting, so we have all these schools, these settings, and so sometimes it's a classroom in a school district, sometimes it's a room at a youth opportunity center. I uh, sometimes it's a room out in Desert Hot Springs at their city council chambers building. They gave us a room. We have churches okay. we partner with because everyone wants the youth in their community to become someone, to embrace Absolutely. in responsibility and be a contributor. You know, right. instead of well, it, builds our, it builds our communities and it builds our future. My goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Now, you, you work with the College Connection Program. Is that... Mm-hmm an appendage of the CBK, or is that a separate program? Okay, so that's a good question. We um, started College Connection after the Comeback Kids program was initiated, and Mm -hmm. we realized that a lot of youth we were serving, okay, so what's their next step? What's their secondary step after they graduate with us? How can we work with them? So uh, we worked with Riverside City College, and Miss um, Sheila, we call her Coach Sheila. Now we have Coach Jeremy. And so we've done this through, originally through the foster youth, um, providing services for foster youth, and then now through alternative ed, so kids that are even expelled can go on these field trips, be coached, help with their FAFSA, um, how to apply for college, how to write their letter, how to best prepare for life after high school. So this right. is how this is how personal it is. We had a student one year who graduated. She had two little girls. She was about 21 years old. She was graduating from Comeback Kids. She needed the next plan in her life. So Ms. Sheila explained it all to her. We took her on a college tour with other students. She decided where she wanted to go. So it's time to go take the assessment at the college. And she calls Ms. Sheila because Ms. Sheila is a true coach. She gives out her phone number in case students need help, right? Right. So she's uh-huh. a little lifeline. And the student calls her and says, I can't even find the building to take the test, so I'm just going to go home. I'll just do it another day. And Miss Sheila said, tell me where you're standing, Maria. Okay, turn around. Look right. Do you see a, a door? Yeah. With orange letters? Yeah. Miss Sheila said, walk to that door, open it up, and go take your assessment. I'll be here. When you get out, you call me. So that's oh, the kind of personal assistance kids need, right? Their parents right. are busy. Some of our parents are, you know, they're refugees. They're working really hard. Some of them are disengaged. Some of them are in prison. But regardless, we are, you know, just consistent about being a coach and a support for these kids. So they can't, you know, check it out. They can't decide, I'm scared. We're going to be there and do this with them. What are you, you know, you, you work with this program, the Comeback Kids, and then the College Connection program. Uh, what would you say would be the uniqueness about the College Connection program? And what is your success radio, ratio that you've had with, with, with kids who come out of Comeback Kids and then they go into College Connection program? How many of them actually go, through co- go to college and matriculate? I mean, have, do you have some stats on that yet? Oh, that's such a great question. Guess what? That is a topic of my dissertation. Oh, in 2013. So I knew I wanted to do my research on comeback kids but I, mm-hmm. and, and dropout recovery, but I also knew that the unique piece was we have high school dropouts 
who are now attending college. So I found those students. It took a lot of work, and we were just a few years into it, so it hadn't been any students who had graduated from college yet, but were in their second or third year. So I interviewed these students. Oh, great. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, um, yes, I discovered a lot of, you know, students. I mean, one student was at Bradley University back east, in Chicago, mm-hmm. excuse me, mm-hmm. and um, doing music, playing music. His dad found out about Comeback Kids because his son didn't graduate over two classes at his local high school. His dad That's found great. Comeback Kids. Then we got him into preparing for college entrance. And I think the unique, and then, and then we have a Another student, okay, here, he's my poster child. This is mm-hmm. Andrew Powell. Andrew Powell is the very first graduate of Comeback Kids. He needed very little to get a degree or to get his diploma. He is now at the University of Pacific. He is graduating. He is an intern in D.C. So, that is wonderful. <laughs> oh, what, you know, I mean, such a, uh, you know, really, I mean, you should feel so good because of the progress and of, because of somebody taking interest and, mm-hmm. and starting a program. And I'm sure there may be other programs nationwide, or, uh, but Comeback Kids, Dropout Recovery School, and your mm-hmm. involvement with it, I'm sure, has contributed much to the success of that and the College Connection program. Now, you know, Dr. Sachs, I love that. Dr. Sachs, <laughs> you, you have, you've shared a lot about, or you share a lot about restorative practices and mindfulness in schools. I want you to explain these concepts and how do you translate them to the teachers for their buy-in? Okay. So I'll start with restorative practices. So this is a framework, and it's through the International Institute of Restorative Practices. The hub of it is in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And Uh what it is, it's a framework for schools to use and adults to use so that we respond positively to students, but when they do the wrong thing, that we don't put this big mark on their forehead for the rest of their educational career, that we have a process to reintegrate them. So whether they got in trouble in their class or in trouble, you know, where they mm-hmm. were expelled or suspended, how do we reintegrate those youth back into the system? And so restorative practices, I do a lot of training in schools, and um, so we give them a, 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 a a foundation of what it is, how to set up this in your school. So it's not even a workbook. It's, it's, it's really just a, a, a set of steps to embrace reintegrating youth, using circles to have significant conversations in your classroom so I that students learn trust. And, and, um, and the one thing I really love about restorative practices, and I just want to share this really quick, is they use a, um, one of the pieces of the framework is called a social discipline window. And this can apply to being an educator with youth. It can apply to being a parent of children, a grandma to a grandchild. Mm-hmm. So the window has four pieces. So we can do things to children, right, which is stand mm-hmm. and deliver, command, command. Um, these are the rules. You follow them. Be quiet, right? We can do things right. to them. And, right. and then... We can, there's another box, they call it the four box. We can be too, too, you know, do too much for them and not let them, like, critically think, not let them, um, you know, do something and be creative, and and we can squelch their creativity and their abilities by doing too much for them, just like parents, right? Instead of letting your kids make his bed sloppy, you make the bed for him. So we don't want to be in the four box, but we also don't want to neglect Children And so a lot of our youth, you know, they, some of them have been neglected at home. They come home mm-hmm. to an empty house. Mm-hmm. They don't feel like mm-hmm. their mom, you know, says you got to be home at a certain time or let's see look at your homework. The fourth box, we call it the with box in the social discipline window. The with box means that there's high control and high support. Control being accountability, I'm here for you, I ask you questions, I challenge you, I let you know when you're doing something wrong, but our relationship is so good you respect that, and we can move along. So our goal is to be in the whip box, and that's the big part of restorative practices. And, you know, it's very good when we talk about social uh, discipline, you know, Mm -hmm. window, and Mm -hmm. have that framework. Do the teachers respond positively to this framework? Yes, they do. And so we do a variety of exercises when we are presenting. Mm -hmm. We'll say, you know, think about somebody you know. 
Maybe it's somebody you teach with. Maybe it's yourself. Maybe it's a teacher you have. What was that person like who was in the not box or the two box or the four box? Right. We asked them the question also, who is a significant adult in your life? Somebody you really admired that you knew personally in your life. And then we talk about what were those qualities. Everything they say ends up being mm-hmm. that person in the whip box. Wow. So your success with the teachers, I'm sure, has been uh, appreciable, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, we really think. And we, and we do a lot of where we're actually role-playing. It's very hands-on. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's so real. And everybody knows we can't just, we can't do this any longer. We can't, you know, have a student in the office who's in trouble who gets sent out for two days and he comes back and everybody's looking at him, you know, or looking at her in an angry way or, you know, or right. they, ne- they never talked again to that student they had a fight mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. So our goal is to use this framework where we reintegrate. We have what we call a conference and it's very structured and people get and we're trying to separate the deed from the doer. And real, everybody's a good person inside. They made a mistake. You know, what can we do well, now? Yeah. And there's a whole process. Well, you know, it's, it's almost separating uh, the person that injures you mm-hmm. um, and, and loving them. It's like separating yeah. the person from the act. I love, I love the person, but I don't like the act. So exactly. it's, That's I exactly love the it. Yeah, You know, I mean, it's really, and it's a concept I learned some years ago and which helped me tremendously in, in the area of forgiveness. Love the person, but I dislike your actions or your attitudes. Mm-hmm. But I love mm-hmm. you as a human being because you're a God-created human being, and I love mm-hmm. you. So, it, it, and, and, you know, it doesn't take much to do that, but I think sometimes uh, in schools, it's, it's so many students, and I'm not defending teachers, but a lot of times in these schools, it's so much pressure, so much, and now we're, you know, dealing with the common core curriculum. There's a lot of emphasis on teaching and, you know, getting students. I know right now a lot of the emphasis is getting students out of high school, getting them into college, and then we want to get them to graduate. I mean, there's a lot of pressure, pressure, pressure. (laughs) Right, exactly, exactly. Well, from your experiences and and point of view, what are some of the greatest challenges facing many youth today? Oh, the big one right now is distraction. Distraction with social media, with texting, With the cell phone, and I'm not kidding, if you ask any high school teacher right now what's the biggest challenge in their room, is that kids are so connected to their phone. (laughs) It really is a huge challenge. And we are, too, as adults. I mean, we have to be really mindful about putting the phone away, having a conversation eye-to-eye with someone, not, you you know, being attached or handcuffed to the cell phone. So it is a really big challenge right now. Um, The other piece is, you know, if 20% of the kids aren't graduating in some places, we've improved ours greatly. We're almost 90% in Riverside County, so I want to mm-hmm. just share that. Um, but um, so students, you know, feeling like it's a place where there's where I belong, and so a lot of times youth will quit coming to school, sometimes middle school and sometimes high school, if they feel like nobody calls me by name there, People don't really know me. People won't even, you know, they won't even miss me. That's what mm-hmm. some youth mm-hmm. feel. And so they go, you know, they find another place to, to hang out and, and so forth. Right. So, so right. we're doing a lot of work now with, um, with, with this restorative practices, just an initial simple strategy right. is where we ask teachers to circle right. up kids every single day. So put the chairs in a circle. Or if you don't want to move the chairs, have everybody stand in a circle. Ask a question. Everybody responds. It could be something very, very simple. What's one right. of your greatest right. strengths? Right. Kids learn about each other. They learn compassion. They learn empathy. You know, schools that are using yeah. the circles True. to build that social capital are seeing less bullying, more empathy, more compassion, because... They're, they're meeting each other. Otherwise, they're just sitting in a room. Maybe well, the classroom situation, the way it's set up, is not conducive for anybody uh, having a conversation. I mean, you're sitting with your back to somebody else or you're side by side, and uh, it's structured, very structured. And mm-hmm. so when you start to move people into circles where they can see each other, I, I ask that question simply. It does provide a different kind of culture. One exactly. of the things we've ever... Um, you know, we go on and on, you know, about education because that's my heart. I mean, a lot of me, I'm, I'm so 
uh, impassioned about educating young people and teens, particularly our teens today. But the other part of this is parents. Mm-hmm. How much uh, work do you guys uh, get to do with parents? Now, I know that some of these kids in foster home, you know, but mm-hmm. still they have foster parents. Because me, one of my taglines, educate a parent, educate a child. Because yeah. there has to be parent cooperation. Because if parents would all band together and pull these cell phones, okay, mm-hmm. we're not having mm-hmm. a cell phone during dinner table. We're not having right. a cell phone during this particular outing. It's going to be outing for the family. No cell phones. Dad, mom, all of us, no cell phones. We're all putting them in the in the chest or, or whatever. So it has to be parent uh, participation to help move the needle or to change the, this culture of distraction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, so it's a tough one. You know, a lot of mm-hmm. times, and I'm not stereotyping, but a lot of times with the most at-risk students, we have the right. least amount of parent participation. Not always. There's always yeah. a few at the door wanting to, to make a difference and have an impact. But it, it's it's a struggle to get parents to come to meetings, you know, even to have a conversation in, in person because variety of reasons they're either working or right, right. they um, they don't have transportation or sometimes we have parents who you know have personal issues, met, uh, emotional, mental kinds of issues too. Right. So so there is a challenge when we do have parent meetings. We we want students to be, you know, like when we have big meetings, we call them stakeholder meetings. We encourage students to be there to, you know, to provide some sort of, um, uh, not show, but some sort of an event where, ki- where the parents can learn what the kids are doing, even at the high right. school level. So we have kids really involved in getting the parents there as well and creating the agenda for the evening. So there's a variety of ways we get parents involved just to even show yeah. up. But, um, but, but when we talk about a, sort of practices and setting up um, expectations at school, and this is how we're running our schools now, parents will say, I want to do that in my own home. I want to say these are the expectations at the dinner table. The cell phones get put away. You know, one person talks at a time. Um, we, we, you know, we have expectations that we're all going to, you know, sit together. And so, because that's what we're doing at school. We're setting up expectations in every setting at school. What, is, what are the expectations when you're in the cafeteria, when you're, you know, in the classroom, when you're in the office? And so right, this is right. providing a lot of uh, structure for kids, and they, it's, it's getting better. It's, they're safer environments now. Well, I, I really, again, appreciate you for all that you're doing and all the work you're doing with at-risk students and contributing to the communities because, really, it's going to make a difference. You know, if, we, if you're only salvaging, you know, out of the Riverside County, you're salvaging, you know, say we're 50% of the population you serve will go on to college, become, you know, well, citizens and able to take their places in society and make a difference. Now, on the personal side, Debbie, I know you're married and you have children. Yes. But, you know, one of the questions is, oh, it's always asked of women. I know we don't ask this of men, but I now ask it of men. With such a busy career trajectory, how did you integrate your work, marriage, and children? Yeah, it's tricky. <laughs> Um, okay, so I have to I'll have to admit that I give up sleep because I'm such a learner. Right. I'm constantly reading and researching and when I'm on yeah. when I'm on my computer it's not social media, it's like what do I what am I gonna learn next about growth mindset or mindfulness, whatever yeah. my new passion is. But but um so yes, it's communicating with my children. Sometimes it's texting. Sometimes it's the phone. We definitely spend holidays together, and at least one. Even though they're adults, you know, we spend time um, on a weekend together. We do a lot of outdoor activities together, where we all end up at the same place. Um, our family is kind of known as water and right. wheels. So we love the racing kind of environment, but we also love the water and that environment. And so we balance it out. We love the ocean. We love lakes. But we also love the highway and the dirt. (laughs) So for me, it's probably just being with my family. With That's great. um, That is so great. With the things that that are their spark, that are their interest. Yeah. Well, you know, as we close the show, and I hate to, we've had such a great conversation. You know, I know one of the things about you, Deborah, you speak very highly, you've always speak, spoke, spoken highly of your mother, and she mm-hmm. was a great mom from all that I've heard from you. So what's the greatest lesson you learned from your single mom? Mm-hmm. My greatest lesson, I'm going to get emotional, 
my greatest lesson I've learned from my mom is to care about everyone. And again, like she modeled that at her store when somebody didn't have $10 for the bread, the milk, and the hot dogs. And she said, just sign this little piece of paper. You pay me when you get paid. That's the kind of mom I had. And so I, I look at homeless people and I just feel like there's a story behind that. And that's the way I raised my kids, to look out the window when we're driving down the road. And when you see somebody who doesn't look like they're doing so well, have a heart for them, not an attitude and not a judgment. Thank you so much, Deborah, for sharing that. And she was a great mother. And obviously, you've taken a lot of her traits and characteristics from your mom. And, you know, I want to thank the listeners for listening today to this show. You know, there are so many challenges we all face in today's world, some good, some bad. I'm ugly, and there are so many young people who are out there who are brokenhearted, disappointed, and disillusioned, and afraid to pursue their dreams, but pursue anyhow, because there are people who care about you, such as Deborah Sachs and the team of educators and teachers that work with her in Comeback Kids. You can do anything you set your mind to, and you never know where your journey will lead, as in Deborah's case, to help at-risk youth. We're all on a journey of discovery and renewal. And it's so empowering, again, and inspirational to hear stories such as Deborah's, who is making a difference. And you can do the same thing in whatever dream that you have. So I challenge you to take time before the end of the week to pursue your dream with passion and enthusiasm. So as I close the show, listen in next week as I've got another incredible guest with you with an incredible story you won't want to miss. Thank you for tuning in. And this is Dr. Barbara Young. Your transformation coach saying, be inspired, be challenged, be encouraged, and be forever transformed. We appreciate you joining us for Transformation for Success. Please join your host, Dr. Barbara Young, again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. That's 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Or join us for our replay every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. Have an outstanding week. experienced the loss of a loved one, be it a friend or family member. There are all kinds of questions and emotional pain that we go through, but you can move on. Listen for From Morning to Morning with Rabbi Mel Glazer. It doesn't matter what faith you are, or if you even have no faith, you are sure to find meaning in Rabbi Mel's words and personal experience, as well as that of his guests. From Morning to Morning airs live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Moving forward can be difficult to do sometimes. There is always something going on. Many times, nobody else knows exactly what you're going through. If you are experiencing pain or loss, even something that is unexplained that is missing in your life, you'll want to tune in to Go For It with host Joe Hausman. Joe and her guests will show you laughter and love. Sometimes you just need something a little positive in your week. Make that spot Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Do you feel alone trying to conquer life's challenges? Do you feel that there's sometimes nowhere to turn and nobody really understands? Remember, you are not alone. Every week, host April Joy Ford, who has faced adversity as a constant in her life, helps you rise above life's challenges with your own blueprint meant to discover the powerful you. April's challenges have included childhood sexual abuse, becoming a widow and single parent at 32, and other such curveballs. She'll help you get empowered holistically every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. 
Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit voiceamerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. Live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Get motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Many people believe it's a man's place to stay strong no matter what. It's considered weak if you break. Men deal with all kinds of issues, insecurity, fears, and struggles, but there has been no place to turn to until now. Listen for Fundamentals with host Carl Bobo. We provide the support that men need and the guidance they seek. It's an open and honest forum featuring the topics you want to hear about with the answers that you seek. Listen live Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific and 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. When you see someone, are you seeing the person or the perception? We see labels such as fat, thin, black, white, rich, poor, but we don't always see the true identity. Listen for New Dimensions with Reverend Nicholas Barrett. On this program, we'll embrace the breaking down of societal paradigms, our norms, and acceptance of our false selves. You can find your identity the way that God intended. Forget all the labels that you think you see. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. 